How's it going, everybody? <laughs> it's great to see all of you as well. Um, so yeah, my name is Ben Fellamley. Um, I've been coming to Revive since probably just a month or so after it started. Um, two of my sisters are here. They told me about Revive years ago, and um, I fell in love from the first service. Um, I was going to give a shout out to Alex and Angel, but I guess they're still on a road trip from Florida. But um, yeah, I just, I love this place, the authenticity here, the atmosphere. I tell them all the time, it's honestly unmatched for a young adult's place that just started from a couple of pure hearts. And um, yeah, I also want to give a big shout out to the worship team again, because I swear every week I'm here, yeah, give it up for the worship team. Every week I'm here, somehow they get better and better, so mad props to them. Um, a little bit about myself, though. I'm from Waynesville, Ohio. Some of you might know where that is. Some of you probably don't. Um, it is about 20 minutes north of here, just outside of Lebanon. And um, grew up there, graduated from Waynesville. And from there, I joined the military, which I will be talking a lot about tonight for my sermon. Um, in 2011, I enlisted in the Air Force. And... Um, I'm going to start you off with a little story from boot camp and lead into uh, the main topic of my sermon tonight. So if you all would take a journey with me, um, it's February 2012, and I'm on my first ever plane ride, and ironically, this plane is headed for United States Air Force boot camp. Um, I get there to the airport not knowing what to expect. I was given a little post-it note with handwritten instructions on where to go next. And so I find this little podium. There's a sergeant standing there. So I introduced myself like anyone would, you know. Hi, sir, my name is Ben Fellumley, and I'm instantly cut off by this guy, and he's like, listen here, trainee, this is not a meet and greet, okay? And he gives me instructions to go downstairs, get in this big flight, stand there, stare at the back of someone's head, told not to move or talk until I'm given further instruction. So I'm standing there, and it's been 30 minutes, haven't heard from anyone. So I had to use the restroom. I went and used the restroom, came back, and there were two more sergeants there. Well, apparently in the Air Force, you can't go anywhere without a wingman. So I'm getting grilled an hour into being at the airport again just for using the restroom because I didn't take a buddy with me. Um, so then a bus finally shows up after almost two hours of standing in this airport, San Antonio, Texas, by the way. Um, the bus picks us up loads about 60 people on there, and we head for Lackland Air Force Base, which is also in San Antonio. The bus shows up, and on the way there, they said, make your last phone calls because you won't have your phone for the next two months. And so what you thought was going to be a peaceful bus ride is now the loudest bus ride you've ever been a part of because there's 60 different conversations going on to your left, to your right, about all different things, guys crying, grown men crying. I mean, it's a mess. Um, and then the bus pulls up, and six drill sergeants get up on there, and they're just hammering everyone, like, get off, get your bags, hurry up, go faster, you're moving slow. You're sent out to a patio where they're trying to teach you at, like, rapid fire speed how to stand at attention, stand at parade rest, all these different commands. You have no clue what's going on, honestly. They're rushing you to different buildings, and... Um, Finally, the night ends, you're in your bunk, it's been total chaos, and you're just thinking, what did I get myself into? And 
Um, so the weeks go on, and it's just like this every day. You're getting grilled, hammered by these drill sergeants every day from sunup to sundown, nonstop. And so it's about week three, and um, the only way to communicate with your friends, your family back home is to write good old handwritten letters, snail mail. And so one night um, after lights out, which this is supposed to be not allowed, you're writing a letter. I was writing a letter to my mom and dad and uh, just summing up the week, basically. Well, there's typically three or four door guards, so your fellow wingmen from your bunk who patrol the uh, dormitory while lights are out. And I'm laying there minding my own business, writing a letter with my flashlight, and uh, all of a sudden I see a flashlight going crazy all over the ceiling. And there's quite a few windows in this place, and there's always drill sergeants downstairs. So... I get out of my bunk, like, just to sit up a little bit, look over there. I mean, it's pitch black other than this flashlight. I think it's one of my fellow airmen. So I use a few choice words and tell him to get his flashlight off the ceiling. And it turns out that uh, the flashlight points straight to my face, and then I hear a rapid clicking coming towards me. And drill sergeants in boot camp put what is basically a horseshoe in the heel of their boot to distinguish them from other personnel on the base because this base is full of people. It's not just um, boot camp trainees. And so as soon as I heard that clicking coming towards me, I knew I messed up. <laughs> and so I basically just cussed out a drill sergeant and he is storming over to me, puts the light right in my face. It's like, what did you just say? And chews me out, rips this notebook out of my hand, um, storms up to this front office where he's yelling at four or five other people who had been doing whatever else during lights out. And uh, so I'm just laying there trying to collect myself, like, oh, shoot, I'm in big trouble now. And um, he sends those four guys back to their bunks, turns all the lights out, goes to the front of the bay, which is honestly probably about this size. It's just a room full of bunk beds and lockers. And he comes up there and just says, oh, letter writer. And so instantly I, I get out of my bed and I sprint up there. And somehow he sees me in the pitch black and goes, why are your disgusting feet on my floor, trainee? So I sprint back to my bed, get my shoes, sprint back up there. And so he starts grilling me for writing this letter, chewing me out, saying, like, I'm not going to make it in the Air Force. I can't even sneak a letter out past lights out. And um, so he, he um, asks me, do you know what the punishment is for writing letters past lights out? And I said, yes. And it's supposed to be an automatic recycle, which means, so I was in week three. Technically, I should have been sent back to week one with a whole new flight and had to start boot camp over from week one. And so he's like, he asked me if I knew what the punishment was. I said, I did. And so he said, okay, good. And um, he, he said, I have another question for you. And he said, do you know what my favorite song is? And so I said, no, sir. And he starts singing. <laughs> he starts singing this to me. And so after he says, hey, hey, goodbye, talking about me being recycled, he said, do you know that song? And I said, yes, sir. And so he says, OK, good, finish it. And I mean, I'm a terrible singer. So he, <laughs> he has me go to the front of my bay, look at everyone. I mean, it's probably close to midnight, which is three hours past lights out. So most of my buddies are snoozing right now. And he makes me like belt this song, top of my lungs <laughs> at midnight until everyone's awake and then sends me back to my bed. And so 
that whole night, I couldn't sleep or anything. I mean, I was nervous as could be, thinking I'm about to get sent back a week. And uh, the next day comes by. We get up at 4.30 a.m. every day for PT. And so I'm thinking, my drill sergeant's going to find out and tell me I'm getting recycled as soon as I see him. Well, that whole first day goes by, didn't hear from anybody. So day number two, I'm still on edge everywhere I go. But same thing. I don't hear from anyone about this situation. So three days go by, and I'm starting to think, okay, maybe I'm in the clear. Well, towards the end of this week, I come out of the chow hall, which there's no walking, running, and boot camp. It's marching everywhere, and that's eyes straight forward at all times, doing your little march. And um, so I come out the chow hall door, look straight at my formation. You have to wait in formation until everyone's out to go back to your dorm. So... I walk out, get in my formation, and I look to my right, and the drill sergeant that had caught me writing a letter is standing right by the exit door, and so I'm just telling myself, oh, please don't make eye contact, please don't make eye contact. So I look, and of course, he's already locked in on me, staring me down. He sees me. Once I, he can tell I see him, just gives me this number. And so I get out of my flight, march on over to him, and then he just starts chewing me out again because... I didn't take the initiative to own up for my own actions and tell my drill sergeant what I had done, and I relied on him to do it for me. And so that, <clears throat> that was what made him mad. And so he's just laying into me for that, and as he's yelling at me, my drill sergeant comes out the door right beside where I'm getting yelled at. And so I think, like, this is it. I'm going back to week one. <laughs> Time to write my parents a letter to postpone those hotel reservations. <laughs> and um, so he comes out, though, and to my surprise, he's totally cool about it and says, oh, yeah, I, I already knew that. I mean, it's, it's taken care of. And he just tells me to get back in formation and uh, ended up going back upstairs. He called me into his office and just said, look, I don't care that you wrote a letter past lights out. Just don't do it again. Like, there's a lot worse things happening that you could be doing. Um, sent me back on my way. And so I didn't get recycled, and I finished boot camp on time. And other than being a pretty good laugh, I, I tell you that story because that's what the entire first two weeks of boot camp are like. Um, that was just the most personal situation I encountered. And so... Um, when you graduate boot camp, you find out from the drill sergeant that the first two weeks specifically, they're trained to be as mean and as hard on you as they can because they want the ones that don't truly want to be there to quit before the meat of boot camp gets started. Because the first two weeks, you're basically just getting medical exams, fitted for uniforms, all that stuff. And um, they only want people that are truly dedicated to be there from weeks three through eight because their objective from that point is to take this broken down person that they've made you and sculpt you back up into the airman that you need to be to carry on your job, your responsibilities as a military member and uh, airman throughout your whole career. And... After that week three incident comes week four, and this is another short story. We get called into a day room, which is just a classroom in our dorm, and our drill sergeant gives us this little speech because every day in this day room before dinner, we had 30 minutes to talk about life. 
I mean, you're still in your uniform, but it was called uniform off time because you could just talk to the drill sergeant like it was your best friend or a family member about literally anything from finances to family situations. Anything you had going on was basically open mic for anyone struggling with anything. And so this particular speech was about how the next day we would be getting our name tags for our family last name and the name of the United States Air Force sewn on our uniform. And it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but for four weeks you're just walking around in camo uniform. There's nothing on you. There's no rank. There's no name, nothing. You're just a number. And so he gives you the speech about how now wearing the U.S. Air Force on your chest, everywhere you go, you're representing something greater than yourself. And... You're representing all the veterans that came before you. You're representing everyone that's sitting in this classroom with you. And you're representing anyone that's going to sign that dotted line to come after you. And then on the flip side, you have your family's last name. And so he's talking about now you're also representing your family's lineage. You're representing yourself, your father, his father. Mm-mm. Sorry. His father and any future children and family you might have. And so, literally, the day he was giving us the speech, all I could think about was um, being a Christian and having that same responsibility tied to you. Because. <laughs> When you take uh, the oath to accept Jesus into your life, you have that same responsibility because you're now carrying a name so much bigger than yourself, so much greater than, man, so much greater than uh, anyone can comprehend. And so... um, since we just started a new year, I thought this would be a good message because I'm sure, how many people feel like maybe they ended 2019 with uh, some heartache or some pain or some struggles or they didn't end the year on their best note or as it was planned? Because I know in years past, that was definitely me. And that's just like um, the drill sergeant's wanting to break you down for those two weeks purposely. And God doesn't break you down purposely, but when you are broken down, he purposely does come in just like the drill sergeant steps in after those two weeks. And God comes in and he wants to take that broken vessel, if you'll give it to him, and build it back up into exactly who he's called you to be. Because in Isaiah 64, it talks about God being the master potter, and we are just a a clay, and he wants to form us into that perfect vessel, just like they wanted to form us into the perfect military member. God wants to form us into the perfect human being that he designed us for before we were even in our mother's wombs. So with that being said, the main focus I wanted to talk about tonight were uh, these three things that we can all do to exercise. <clears throat> Sorry. Modeling Christ 
in a way, to enter this year fresh and carrying the name of Jesus with us into 2020 and not the names of the negative stuff that we might have ended 2019 with. Um, I'm going to pull these three principles straight from the Air Force and apply them to our spiritual walk with God. And I know these three principles aren't straight out of the Bible or mentioned in Scripture specifically, but I am going to talk about these three things that we call core values in the Air Force and how Jesus did exercise these in his life when representing the Father because Jesus represented a name greater than his own too, and that was the Father's name, God. So these three values, they're called core values in the Air Force. The first one is called integrity first. And so I'm sure some of you have heard that word before, integrity, and some of you maybe not. And so what is it? The, the dictionary defines it as an adherence to a specific moral standard or incorruptibility. But our drill sergeant called it doing the right thing even when no one is around to see you doing it. And some easy examples in life of having integrity in your walk is, um, say you're at a grocery store, you've got a bunch of items, you're looking at your receipt, you realize something was given to you for free, the cashier scanned it wrong, something, you take it back and you pay for it, that's integrity. Remaining faithful in your earthly relationships, that's integrity. And then any other situation that could get you in trouble and doing what you know to be right, even when no one's there, is integrity. Um, as Christ followers, we're also called to walk with integrity while representing him too, because we can't claim to be Christians, go to church on Sunday, and then live a completely different lifestyle on our Monday through Saturday and expect the fruit that comes with being a Christ follower. Because committing to walk with Christ is committing to walk with consistency. As Christ followers, people always have their eyes on you. And if you don't believe that, just look at Kanye West and what's going on with him right now. I mean, everything that guy does is picked apart and scrutinized by anyone. And I'm not saying it's real or fake up here, but I'm just saying that shows that it's important that we live an integral life, not a double standard life. Because a double standard life is going to label you as nothing but normal. And if the norm is to conform to the ways of this world, then I pray that no one in this room is ever labeled as normal. Because when you claim to be a follower of Christ, you are showing the world around you what Jesus looks like. So it's important that we don't show the world around us a false portrayal of who Jesus is. In Scripture, there are numerous examples of Jesus exercising integrity, especially in all the stories of all of his miracles. Originally, I wanted to get up here and just take the easy route and talk about Jesus fasting, being out in the desert, you know, he could have turned whatever into food. He could have quit when he wanted to. No one would have known. No one was out there. But he, he didn't. And also, I thought that there, there could be a better example to show Jesus exercising integrity. 
So I did some more studying, and as I did, the Holy Spirit gave me a not-so-common view of how Jesus used integrity to represent his Father. With the majority of the miracles that Jesus performed, whether it be the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, Jesus healing the blind man by simply spitting in mud and rubbing it in his eyes in John chapter 9, or the woman with the crooked back who received her healing in Luke chapter 13, the common thing amongst all these miracles was that it took place on the Sabbath day. And since Jesus was performing these miracles to a crowd that was primarily Jewish culture, the Pharisees, or the know-it-alls of Scripture in that day, looked past the miracles that were performed and would not accept Christ as Messiah just because of the day of the week the miracle was performed on. So Jesus literally performed miracles right in front of these people, and they still labeled him as unholy. These religious leaders were labeling Jesus himself as unholy just because of the day of the week that his miracle was performed on. And so this showed me that Jesus didn't come to follow the rules that man had put in place that they thought made you holy in the eyes of God. Jesus came to completely restructure what having spiritual integrity looks like. He was here to show his disciples, all the people around that saw his miracles in person, and most importantly, the Pharisees, that doing the right thing comes from the Father and not the traditions of man that they've held on to for so long. Um, in John 5.19, we see that uh, Jesus gives them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And that right there shows that all Jesus is concerned about as far as integrity goes is what his Father considered right and wrong. Jesus was here on a specific mission to show that he was about to leave behind a spirit that will live inside each and every one of us believers and that through the spirit, by faith, all miracles will be accessible to us every day, Sabbath day and all days. That's why it's important that we exercise integrity in our walk with Jesus. We have to take the time to pray and grow ourselves in our walk with Jesus outside the walls of our church, or else we will be the ones blocking our own miracles from manifesting. And that's going to make it so much harder for us to carry the name of Jesus anywhere else and to other people. And for the next core value, it's called service before self. And whether we're talking in the spiritual world right now or in the military life, I would say this is the most important one. Um, in fact, every branch of the military has their own set of core values, and this is the only one that we all have in common. It's written a little different in each of their core values. Um, for instance, the Army calls it selfless service. The Navy and the Marines say being committed to service, and the Coast Guard calls it having devotion to duty. In the military, um, once you signed a contract and sworn in to your respective branch, anything the military asks of you now becomes your priority. Um, the self part of you basically has to take a back seat to 
literally anything they want you to do because you sign the dotted line and essentially your life is theirs for the next four to six years. Um, so when I say swear into the military, what that looks like is you set up an appointment with a recruiter, you go in, you meet an officer, and an officer is just one of the higher ranking individuals that you have to salute. And so you stand in front of this officer with another uh, military personnel as a witness. You raise your right hand, and you repeat the speech after them. And the speech, you basically just state your name. You agree to serve any of the orders from any officer appointed above you, the president, or any government official, really, that's higher ranking than you are. And then with that, you're also committing to fight to defend the country from anyone that would invade this country and any enemies we have anywhere else in the globe that would pose a threat to our nation. And when I was studying for this message that I honestly wrote earlier this fall, um, the Lord spoke to me about the oath and said, is this not pretty similar to the prayer that we pray when we ask Jesus into our lives? Um, because with that prayer, we publicly confess our faith in Jesus and make a commitment to serve him. And when we confess that we need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior, we are committing our service to him and putting service to him above service to ourselves. Um, Paul describes this in Galatians 2 when he talks about dying to ourselves, full commitment to the Father. And it's not that God doesn't want your wishes to come to fruition, but it's more like any time there's a gospel moment and it makes you feel uncomfortable, you should choose to act on instilling the gospel into someone else versus taking a seat because you're scared of what might happen. Um, in, in the oath, I also said it talks about uh, battling enemies, both foreign and domestic. And so what that looks like for us as Christians is the enemy, Satan, coming into our lives and battling us domestically inside our body. He tries to attack our mind every day. It happens with lies and everything else that he uses. And then foreign in our friends' and our family's lives. And the way we combat that is with prayer, knowing the truth of God's word to battle those lies and counter those lies. <clears throat> and so when Jesus was on this earth, he was here to wash us of our sins. But by the miracles he performed with his disciples being in attendance, Jesus was also showing them what it means to have true service to the Father because the disciples would take these principles that they learned from Jesus and spread them to what we now call the church as the foundation of how we should view being a true servant. So now we're going to look at John 13. So John 13, 2 through 17. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, what I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, Jesus uses this scenario to show the disciples how to be humble and serve with humility, even when you're in a position of high authority. Because the new covenant that Jesus came to bring, that's what servant leadership is all about. You have to be willing to lower yourself down sometimes so that others can connect with you where they're at because that makes them feel more comfortable when you can get down on their level and connect with them. And then the other big takeaway from this holy moment and feast that was happening in verse 8 Jesus tells Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And then in verses 14 and 15, when he says, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And this was a portrayal of Jesus washing us clean of sin by dying on the cross so that we could now spread the gospel and point them to Jesus so he could wash their sins. And this leads into the last point of the third and final core value, which is excellence in all we do. This one's pretty self-explanatory. It simply means that we don't strive for average results for things that we do in the military. We don't settle for second best it means we're continually striving to improve ourselves as airmen so that we can help further advance the mission of the Air Force. And to get into the scripture for this point, we're going to look at Luke chapter 19 and check out the story of Zacchaeus. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was, not, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, 
Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Zacchaeus is this short guy, basically a dwarf, and he's a tax collector. And because of this, he's an outcast from the religious and just general society because, I mean, who likes someone that takes all your hard-earned money, you know? Um, So since Zacchaeus was short, he had to climb a tree to see Jesus. But in the story, Jesus sees this, and not only does he see it, but he totally honors it. And this is where the excellence comes in and going above and beyond. He sees Zacchaeus and how Zacchaeus took the time to rise above the crowd, rise above everything that was standing in his way just to get a glimpse of Jesus, goes up there, gets noticed. And so Jesus doesn't just tell everyone to move and bring Zacchaeus to the front. He goes above and beyond that and tells Zacchaeus to come down, not to be closer to his lecture, but so that he can spend time at his house one-on-one with him. And not only does he say he wants to go to his house, but he says he wants to stay there. And that's a picture of us being saved and God not just wanting to have an encounter with you, but live in you for the rest of your life. So this is kind of a short passage. It's literally only 10 verses, but it's a very powerful one as well. Um, Jesus basically gives Zacchaeus a backstage pass, if you will. They go to his house, but then the scripture says nothing about what happened in his house. All it says was they went there, they stayed there, and when he left, he was changed from one encounter. From one encounter... That's all it took. He wanted to give back four times what he had taken from anyone that he had ever wronged. And uh, so, yeah, Jesus wasn't just wanting Zacchaeus to hear his lecture better. Jesus wanted to show him that even though he was an outcast in the public and because he took the time to elevate himself above the crowd, that Jesus wanted to... Meet him where he was and live with him in that place. Because Jesus loves to dwell with the outcast in the broken places. Um, Sometimes in our walk with life, our view of Jesus can also be obscured by the crowd that we choose to hang out in. Um, Jesus and Zacchaeus head to his house People see it, 
And just like the Pharisees, they're all just complaining because Zacchaeus is a sinner in their eyes. And, uh, you know, this, this is the portrayal of pretty much the whole passage representing that Jesus wants to spend time with the outcasts the most because they're the ones that need his love the most. Because they're the ones that are lost. They're the ones that are seeking. And most of the time, unfortunately, they don't even know what it is that they're seeking. They're using so many different outlets that are the wrong outlets of love when it's his presence that they're truly longing for. So this is why it's important to go above and beyond when we run into someone in need that we have the chance to reach out to. Because if you can just get them to a place, whether it be here at Revive, another church, or just a moment of prayer together, to where they can encounter Jesus, God will meet them no matter where they're at, and he will do above and beyond what they thought possible for their situation that they've been going through. Um, It's kind of a shorter message, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, invite the worship team back up as I uh, close out here. So, Jesus performed the ultimate act of excellence for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He spent his whole life carrying his Father's name, and he carried his Father's name along with all of our names, all the way to the cross upon Calvary. So once we accept Jesus into our lives, we get the privilege to carry the most sacred name that has ever walked this earth to the lives of other people. Um, Every time you come in contact person, that right there is a chance to plant a seed that can blossom in them so that they can also encounter his love and be able to carry Jesus' name as well. Um, After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the disciples got revelation of how important it is to take his name and all that he had done and not stop and just have it as a little story time amongst them they realized how important it was that they get this to anyone that they possibly could. And so they took it upon themselves as Jesus commanded and spread the good news as far as they could, literally until the rest of their lives. So 6,173 miles. It's a random number. It's a big number. But that's just how far it is from Jerusalem to here in Cincinnati. And so that number right there is proof that because the disciples chose to do what they did in carrying out Jesus' name and not quit and not stop when it got hard, not stop when they literally faced persecution from Caesar and everyone else, they kept going with the gospel and that if we would just continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we're called to be as well, then this thing's only going to keep growing. It's going to keep spreading across the world until one day every single person has revelation of what Jesus did for us.
Um, since the disciples are the ones that were always with Jesus, if they had given up, the gospel wouldn't have advanced or it would probably look totally different than it does today. The disciples planted seed after seed from nation to nation in order to see the name of Jesus carried on. So whatever your personal core values look like in your life this year, any resolutions you've set, any do's and don'ts you've put in place, any boundaries you've tried to put up this year, represent the name of Jesus when you do that and make sure his name is the one that's on full display for others to see the light of Jesus in you. So when you guys leave here tonight and go back in your day-to-day -day lives, remember that you're carrying a name that is much bigger than your own, and that's Jesus' name, and that he's just as present with you everywhere you go as he is right here as we close out in prayer and worship as he was in the 30 minutes or 40 minutes leading into this message. He's ever-present. He's always with you just as strong. So as we go into this new year, this 2020, I just challenge you all to carry the name of Jesus everywhere you go with all you have for the rest of your lives until you see the Lord face to face and he tells you, mission accomplished. Thank you guys. Father, we just thank you for this new year, God. We just thank you, Father, that you are opening our eyes to see you, God. God, that you're positioning us, Father, to go into the world and to preach the gospel. That this will be the year, God, that we will walk in your fullness. Father, we declare that this is the year that we will walk in everything that you have um, put on our hearts to walk in, God, that you will begin to show us, Father, exactly who we are. I declare that everyone in my ear, and I mean, everybody that can hear what I am saying right now, that everybody in here will fulfill what they are called to fulfill. Everyone in here will walk in what they are called to walk in. That everyone in here will, at the end of the day, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, you put us together to revive us. You put us together to revive us. And so, Father, we just say that we will hold hands together, that we will be together in unity, and that, Father, that we will revive the world together together so I just bless everyone here I bless you all to come into this new year I bless you all